Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 103. We're hanging on. <laughs> Still what, are we, what do going. you think we're hanging on to? <laughs> our hopes, our dreams. Um, yeah. How's your day? <laughs> My day is fine. Uh, I'm still like easing back in. I took a vacation. That's oh, why yeah. we ended up. Yeah. We recorded two episodes like two weeks ago. I was gone all of last week at a beautiful lake. God, your pictures looked awesome. I know. I was like so obnoxious with them, but I couldn't help myself. I'm like, it's so pretty. No, it makes so me obnoxious. so happy. Like it gives kind of serenity to those of us that um, can't, <laughs> don't, <laughs> and won't. And uh, we'll never. <laughs> no, it looked awesome. Oh, yeah, it's it, a really beautiful spot. It's uh, called Douglas Lake. We went last year and uh, decided to go back this year to a different house, but it's like right by the Smokies um, in Tennessee. It's just really nice and calm and pretty. And we just got this kind of the house was whatever, but it had a dock that was beautiful. And we all I did was swim. And went on my paddleboard nice. for a whole week. It was great. That is awesome, dude. Yeah. How was your birthday? I think what we all have been wanting to hear, Jen. I turned a year older. Is it just how keeps was happening? <laughs> like, most motherfuckers keep making us years older. It was good. Um, yeah. How was that massage? Is what we all want to know. Oh. Well, <laughs> oh no. That was a little interesting. I mean, we had a good time. So I yeah. went with Dustin. Was it another Greek guy? You know, it wasn't a Greek guy. But I, you know, I was like telling him, oh, yeah, yeah, these foot massage places are the best. Like you go and you sit in this like big comfy chair and they give, and I've been to this particular place before. Yeah. But since COVID, it's like they rearrange things maybe. So like uh-huh. I, I understand them trying to get more um, bang for their buck. You know what I mean? And trying to make a little more money, I guess. So they put, rather than us having like the big comfy chairs and like the dark room with the nice chairs and like bring us tea, we were out in the lobby. No. Yeah. Uh, So we were out in the lobby uh, with very cold water. And then um, it was just really, it was, it got, it was comical. Like we we had a good time because we kept laughing. Like she would come out and be like, um, you want the two hour massage, right? And I was, uh, she goes the, um, the foot, hour foot massage and the hour body massage. And I said, yeah. Um, and then she goes, no, we'll do a 30 minute foot and, uh, uh, hour and a half body. And I was like, okay. And like, just cause like, I didn't argue anything. And then she's like, okay, it's $20 more. And I was like, okay. Wait, yeah. <laughs> And then they like brought us back to the room or whatever. And I guess they thought that Dustin and I were a couple. Uh-huh. But Dustin is uh very much married to a beautiful man named David. <laughs> and um 
hi, Dustin and David. And, um, and so, but they brought us back into the room and it wasn't really a room. It was like the old room that they used to do the foot massages in. And now it's just like, it was just like a curtain was up. Uh-huh. And then they were looking at us like, get undressed. And Dustin and I were like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Like, I don't care, whatever. And yeah. so then we like, we had a couple's massage and, um, but it was just so funny because things just kept happening because we we're right next to the lobby. It's like we were in the lobby and then they had partitioned it with curtains. And so it was just, people were so loud and talking and like getting prices for stuff. And everybody yeah. was talking on their phone on speaker which is really weird. And at one point there was somebody that felt like it was like right next to my head. A guy answered his phone and he was whispering. And then all of a sudden you hear this guy on the phone go, dude, why are you whispering? <laughs> and then like, we just started dying laughing. And then there were, and then there was a point where she was like, do you want um, this, 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 or this scent? And I was like, um, I guess whatever. And she's like, okay, it's $10 more. And I was like, Okay, and then oh, she oh, and then she yes. goes, "You want um the scrub? We'll we'll give you a, the scrub." And um, she goes, "It's twenty dollars more." And I was like, "No, thank you." And I said, "No, thank you." And she goes, "So yes." And I was like, "No, thank you." And then she goes, "Yes." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and then she goes to Dustin, and she, she was like, "Do you want the scrub?" And he goes, "Um, what is she doing?" And I said, "I said no, thank you." But <laughs> And Dustin was like, okay. And then it just ended up being like like a bath. Like they just threw water on us. And it was cold and it was like so weird. And um it was uh, it was just the funniest thing. Like we ended up like laughing about it and having like, you know, it made yeah. for a good story. You guys are welcome. <laughs> I'm glad I asked. I that's say say that it was like i wouldn't do that again <laughs> go to treat your feet man i will i will next time for sure uh that well that reminds me of two things one i went and got my hair done last week oh yeah sometime and it looks beautiful thanks it's not what i asked for but it's fine I, I mean i like it fine but it was the same thing where she, she just kept being like well what about do you want this do you want the like this to like deep conditioning, whatever. And that'll, and then everything I'd be like, I guess. And she'd be like, that's $30 extra. And I ended up spending so much money and I'm trying not to think about it, but you know, I hate spending money. The other thing that reminds me of is one time, do you know the comedian Chad Daniels? Uh, yes. Yeah. He's so funny. If you have it, if you guys don't know him, if you like comedy, go find him. He's amazing. But he and I were doing shows together and we were like, let's go get massages. And because there was one, there was like a massage place right by the club. So we were like, let's go. Let's be fun. And so I called and I like, I was like two massages at this time. So we go, they like show us back to the same room and we're like, oh no (laughs) no we're not a couple like they were just like okay go and get undressed and we were both like "Uh -uh, uh-uh uh-uh like (laughs) both of us like backing out (laughs) like i'm sure these people were like why is this couple panicked (laughs) like yeah did they put you in different rooms they didn't they did end up putting us in different rooms but we had it was like that moment where we both were like we can't. This is not. Yeah. This is not cool. <laughs> like, this is not okay. But yeah, yeah. Dustin and I didn't care. It was funny to us. What drove me crazy? Because I had made this appointment far in advance. Yeah. And then when I walked down the hallway, I saw like all these other individual rooms that were nice, like nice rooms. 
It was uh, just for some reason they just like stuck us in the lobby corner. <laughs> <laughs> they like made a corner for us. The lobby it's, corner. Yeah. You guys are lobby. You ordered the lobby corner massage. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we just got, they were just like, they put up, they threw out some chairs and put up some curtains and they were like, she's, she sounded really polite on the phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> she, she said, said yes. no worries if not way too many times. <laughs> I'm sorry, she but do you think you may um, may happen to have any kind of? Can I please? No, no worries if you don't. But I would <laughs> like to give you money. Can I give you please? Uh, oh, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, let's get into our cookies. Okay, sounds good. Okay, I'm first. Okay. Do you know, you know how we love someone who is unironically into something like super random? Yes. Like our bird watching? Yeah. Well, that is what my quickie is about today. Okay, so this guy, Christian Linden, when he was in eighth grade, he had this idea that when he got engaged sometime in the future, that he was going to make his engagement ring for materials that he found himself. He didn't like have a girlfriend at the time, but what he did have, he was like a really big nerd for rock finding. Like he called himself, he calls himself a rock hound. (laughs) So his family runs like an excavating business. So, I mean, it kind of comes naturally. Yeah. But his idea was that when he that when the time came, he would go out like into the wild to find his own materials. Like he would find the diamond, the gold, any accompanying gemstones, like everything. And he said, I've always been a rock hound. So to me, this is the perfect way to get an engaged ring. Actually, it's the only way. I couldn't imagine not making it myself. So now Christian is 26 and he has been dating his girlfriend, 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 His girlfriend, Desiree Kokovold, for more than five years. They live near Seattle, and they've talked about getting married, so now it's just a matter of proposing. So Christian was like, I have my plan, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to execute it. So he had already actually collected enough to make the wedding band by panning for gold. Wow. Like, so I'm, I'm – which I'm just imagining him doing it like a place – you know, like, like a tourist place. <laughs> yes. Like yes. Uncle Eddie's gold mine in Bonanza. And you get <laughs> like, those like little flecks. <laughs> yeah. They're like, like yeah, huh? that's gold. And the kids are like, what? <laughs> I found gold. There's gold in them there. Hills. <laughs> <laughs> He's like shoving children out of the way. <laughs> oh my but so whatever, wherever he found it, he, he mined for gold. He has enough gold that he can melt down into a band. So now he's like, I need a diamond. So he and his best friend since like sixth grade, Josh Tucker, told Desiree that they were going to go camping in Yosemite, but really they were driving 2,200 miles to Crater of Diamonds State Park in Murfreesboro, Arkansas. So this is like a park. It's like the eroded surface of a volcanic crater, and people are allowed to like search the grounds for real diamonds, and they can keep whatever they find. Oh, wow. So apparently like... 33,000 diamonds have been found there since 1972. An average of one to two are found a day, but that's also out of like thousands of visitors. So the average diamond is like a quarter of a carat. Although in 1924, someone found the largest diamond ever discovered in the U.S. It was 40.2 carats. 
that I Sally, you and I both know nothing about jewelry <laughs> and care about diamonds. I'm like forty. How many pounds is that? Forty. I don't know. <laughs> I said it hoping that you would be like, "What?" No. I'm like, Sally, what are we doing? Who is this for? I just you thought know what? it was cool. Someone out there cares. So one of our listeners knows diamonds. I know diamonds. I mean, I just think it's cool. This guy <laughs> and searched for his own. No, that is a big deal. It is a big deal that he searched for his own diamond. I like. I think I. I'm definitely interested in this story. I'm just saying that I don't know what. Yeah, that is. That I don't, don't impress me much. <laughs> me uh, neither. Uh, oh, okay. It's my shyam. It was good. It was. Um, I recognized it. Okay. Okay. So, I guess my whole point is that it's possible that they might find a diamond, but it's prob. It's not probable, and they knew that. But they were also like, "This will be fun. Like we're up for a challenge." Yeah. And they had like watched videos and kind of studied up on the best place to find a diamond in the park. And actually, like on the way there, they had stopped at this place in Montana that was known for like sapphire mining, and they uh-huh. mined. A cu- they found a couple of small sapphires. For the that's ring. exciting. I, I can get behind some sapphire. Right, me too. So, so they get to Crater of Diamonds Park. They spend three days camping and sifting through volcanic dirt, and they don't find anything. But then on the third day, Christian is like sifting through something, and like the morning light catches something in his sifting screen, and he finds Jen. You are not going to believe this: a two point two carat diamond. That's a lot, right? You just said forty is a big deal, and that most of it's half. Yeah, most of it's like a quarter of a carrot. A quarter of a carrot. Two? Yeah. That sounds like a lot. He mm-hmm. said, I knew right away what it was. I was so excited. I started shaking and I called Josh over to look. Josh is the friend. So Josh was like, let out a big hooray. And he was like, we freaked out a little bit. We couldn't believe it. So Christian has no idea what the value of the diamond is because he hasn't taken it to a jeweler. But he said, to me, it was priceless. I'd found Desiree's diamond. So when he got home, he took Desiree mushroom hunting. Apparently, they're Ooh. really they're this really cute outdoorsy couple. <laughs> they were so they're out like in the woods, and he he said, "I have I have to confess something to you. I didn't go to Yellowstone." And she's like, "What?" And he was like, "I went to Arkansas." And then he went got down on one knee. He pulled the diamond out of his pocket, and he told her. I'd like to design a ring for you if you'd marry me. And Desiree said, I knew someday he was going to propose, but I certainly didn't expect this. Of course I said yes. I'm so happy. I keep telling myself that I can't believe this is my life. That is so smart that he said, I would like to design one, like, so she can have some input. Because what if he spent all that time and energy and made this, like, bulky-ass, like, right camouflage green just like a real unfinished diamond like just kind of yeah just like a something someone made in like shop class i know i was kind of imagining him with like all of the gold bits and then the random sapphire bits and the diamond and being like here you go there's some like macaroni noodles on a yeah. string with the diamonds taped to the top, super glued on there. Yep. Oh, man. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, that is sweet. That was from an article in the Washington Post by Kathy Free. 
Nice. So they yeah. did get married or they're engaged They now? are engaged. This just happened. Oh. So they have to design the ring first. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Want, I hope that they share with us what it looks like. Uh, me too. But And they're real cute. And I'll post pictures of them and the diamond. Sweet. Mm-hmm. All right. So my quickie this week comes from an article for brides.com written by Carly Bendlin. This article is about why a bridesmaid's quote unquote transparency letter is going viral on Sally, your favorite TikTok. Yes. Ooh, a transparency letter. Yeah. Oh, man. Is this okay. like someone, a bride or bridesmaid being a real asshole? So, oh my God. So that's what, when I read the headline, that's what I pictured yeah i pictured that um this person like a real asshole bride like being like if you can't can do these things then you can't be my bridesmaid or whatever right i expect you to wear this exact shade of pink and if you don't then fuck off yeah so um recently on um someone named lisa loves random ask the question brides to be to share um, some like wedding advice. And then so a TikTok user, Lisa Marie Torres, shared a video explaining how she gave this transparency letters to her bride's her bridal party when she asked them to be in her wedding. And then they would have to accept the proposal. So um, by the way, this TikTok video has gotten 5.5 million views because people it's so it sounds like a dick thing, and I thought that yeah. it was going to be a dick thing. But while she and she said that she was really nervous to to send this out, but that she's really glad that she did. Um, so basically, what it was is it's like this um, transparency letter outlined everything where and when the bachelorette party is, and when she'll be going to buy her dress, and blah blah blah. But she, but the thing was. She did it nicely. Like she said, by the way, if you live out of town, I do not expect you to come to this thing and that thing or whatever. And she was like, and I will, um, you know, and then she also outlined the costs of things, but she was like, and while that might sound bitchy too, like this is what it's going to cost you. She was like, I'm going to pay for all of your hair and makeup, but if you can just pay for your dresses, that would be great. You can have any style that you want. I just ask that you do it this color. So it's yeah. like she did it the what I think is like the nice way. Oh, she also included a list of like fre- frequently asked questions. Um, uh-huh. You know, like for example, one of them was, "Would you? Will you expect me to make any appearance changes?" And she wrote as the answer, "No, that's weird." So <laughs> she kept it light and fun, and like, and then she also was like, "By the way, you guys can totally say no to this, and we will still be friends no matter what." And and apparently, one person did say no, and they're still really good friends. Yeah. I don't know. I think so. It's going viral because it's it's really unique and it sounds like a smart idea. But I you, there, I feel like there's definitely a, a wrong way to do this and a right way to do this. Yeah, I mean, right? it really depends on the tone. Like, it can be like, yeah. if you want to be my bridesmaid, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and I expect you to do this. And I mean, I think there is certainly that tact. I understand, like, her being like, here here's I want you to before you say yes to this I just want you to know like what it's going to entail and if that seems overwhelming then you know go don't say yes and I don't care yeah although I also kind of feel like it kind of takes away from letting your friends do those things for you well not even that but just well just the like 
you should ha- want to have people in your wedding because you want them to stand there with you when you get married, right? Right. And then whether or not they can do any of the other stuff that goes around around it, then like, I mean, that if that happens, that happens. If not, if not. It's kind of like, well, I only want you to stand near me on this like important day in my life if you can also throw me a bridesmaid shower or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I see it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I never expected any of my bridesmaids to do any of these things. Right. But I will say, and you guys know exactly who you are if you're listening. <laughs> Ooh. I'm just kidding. I'm that sounded so bitchy. No, it's just I'm joking because both um, – that sounded way bitchier than what I meant. <laughs> both my sister and my sister-in-law have since been like, I'm like, sorry. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know because I was one of the first – in our group of people to get married and like people just didn't know until they got married, you know? Yeah. But I did find myself because I was so laid back about everything. Like it's fine, whatever. And like I, I bought the bridesmaids dresses and um, they, I couldn't get a couple of them to try it on um, because, and I was like, no worries. You don't need to. I'm sure it'll fit just fine. Right. And then like the day of the wedding, they were panicking because it didn't fit. And the day of the wedding, I found myself like alone. I was alone for a long time. Yeah. I, I, like, you know, so like nobody was really in my bridal suite for like a while. Like, yeah. You know, and you're I'm, just like, what am I doing? Yeah. And yeah. so it was just kind of like, I think I'm supposed to. And like, I, nobody went with me dress shopping. I did all that alone. And so it was just like, I guess like I maybe in retrospect would have had, I, I probably wouldn't do a transparency letter. I'm not. Like, that's not, like, my style because I'm so, like, it's fine. But I think I maybe up front should have been a little more, like, it'd be nice if somebody wanted to go with me. Or, you know, or maybe on the day of my wedding you guys can meet me here at this time. Yeah, and let's all say, yeah. But I was so laid back I didn't even say, like, can you guys be with me on my wedding day? (laughs) Right. I also benefited from being, like, one of – like the last friends to get married. Uh-huh. So I think that I but it definitely was, yeah. everybody, yeah, everybody was also like they had all been married, they had all gone through it. So they were like, this is what I would have wanted on my wedding day. And so I think I had a lot of people who were like surrounding me and helping me out. And also everybody was like staying at the same place. So right. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that I was like less than awesome at other people's weddings when I was younger, you know, like that yeah. I was in their weddings. I, cause you don't know. It's like you when, just, when a friend has a kid, when, if you don't have a kid, you don't know how to support them. And then exactly when you have a kid, you're like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> I should have been better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you really should have been better. I know. I'm sorry. I didn't even know you, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. but I should have, I should have been better. God, why weren't you at my wedding before you knew me, Sally? <laughs> Well, guess what? Known. I wasn't at yours either. So I, now I know why. And now <laughs> I know why. Because I'm a dick. Because <laughs> you're such a dick. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a wild true crime story? Yes. All right. This one is wild. Okay. I got my sources from The Cinemaholic mm-hmm. by Creedy Mahorta. Monsters and Critics by Jerry Brown. Sorry, these monster- all sound very classy already. <laughs> I know these sources and I know what road we're uh, walking down. Uh, HelenAir.com by Greg Tuttle, The Desert News, uh, Billings Gazette, and an episode of Dateline with Keith Morrison. Nice. 
Okay, so on the night of April 12th, 2008, 34-year-old Susan Casey, who everybody called Susie, was coming home in the early morning hours from a date in Glendive, Montana. The man she'd been with said he dropped her off 20 feet from her door before he drove away, but she never made it home. Her body was found almost a month later in the Yellowstone River. She'd been strangled to death. Oh my God. There were three men who were involved with Susie in some way, and all three of them admitted to being at or near her apartment within minutes of her disappearance. But it would take police four years to figure out who had murdered this young mother of four. Oh, no. Do, do, do. Uh, Susie Casey grew up in a tiny town in eastern Montana that had a population of 600 people. She was the fifth of six kids, and everyone described her as fun, feisty, full of life. She was super impulsive, and she decided on a whim after high school to move to Billings, Montana, which is like the big city that's about three hours away from her hometown, and she attended technical school. But pretty soon she came back because she was pregnant, and she and her boyfriend, a 20-year-old named Marty Larson, did what people do when they are young and get pregnant. They got married. She gave birth to her daughter named Mariah, and soon after, she had a son named Shay. But you know, kind of like many young couples in that situation, their marriage didn't last, and the two divorced after a few years in 1998. And it seems like at first Marty was opposed to the the divorce, but then once they split, he pretty much faded into the background. He doesn't appear to have had much contact with her or the kids. So basically she was a single mother. So how many kids did she have at that point? She had two. So they had they had a daughter, Mariah, and a son named Shay, I think just like a year later. Oh, okay. So she's still, I mean, she at this point she's 24. So she moves to Glendive, which is another small town in Montana. It's about an hour away from her family. And she was working as a medical transcriptionist when she met this rancher whose name was Ted Casey. And Susie had grown up around horses, riding, caring for horses. Like she was, everybody said she would like had no problem going out in the barn and like, I don't know what you do, mucking things. She didn't mind mucking. mucking? <laughs> I don't know. I think that's something you do with horses. <laughs> I would have no idea. I feel like it's like shoveling shit. I don't know. But she was so anyway, she and Ted had a lot in common. He had horses. He was a rancher, um, even though he was 14 years older than her. So the two dated briefly, but they got married actually the same year that her divorce was final. And it seems like the kids really took to Ted. They actually called him dad. And Susie and Ted then had two more girls together. But Susie, who was still young and she was kind of wild, she wanted to go out with friends and party. And everybody says she was a wonderful mother. But like as time went on, it seems that Ted wanted her to settle down a bit more. And I mean, you can kind of understand it. Like she was 24 when they met. He was 38. So at first it was probably like fun to go out and do stuff together. But like after 10 years, like he's closer to 50. She's still in her 30s. And they most likely just grew apart. So yeah. Susie started like jokingly kind of complaining to her friends that like that Ted just wanted her to be home in time for the 10 p.m. news. And she was like, the party just starts at 10. So in 2007, when they uh, just about 10 years together, everything kind of came to a head. So Susie and Ted were out together. They were both drinking and they got into an argument and he dumped a beer on her head 
and then slapped her. Oh, God. And so he says he, like, barely touched her and she, like, flung herself to the ground being dramatic. But Mm. uh, either way, he was arrested and he ended up pleading guilty to a misdemeanor domestic assault charge. And that is when Susie took the kids and left. So, yeah. And so she she found an apartment in downtown Glendive for her and the kids. And so six months later, by the spring of 2008, she seemed to be doing pretty well. She was like taking care of the kids and working and going out. So like on the dateline, they were like, everyone around town noticed that she was sowing her wild oats. Oh, like (laughs) Like, being 23 years old. Yeah. Well, well, she was was like 34 at this time. But also I'm like, she's had four kids and two husbands in the last like however many 14 years and like she's finally able to do something for herself she's like making choices for herself she's whatever i mean yeah like when you get to that point where your kids are like a little bit older and then you finally have a little bit of freedom like you're allowed to have dinner with and drinks with your friends yeah you're allowed and to do you whatever want you to want go dancing you can go dancing you can go fucking da- you can go to hot yoga if you want it's fine you can <laughs> she, you can go uh, grocery shopping yeah, you can buy yourself. groceries for your family if you want. <laughs> if you really want to sow your wild oats, if you really you want to get laundry. out there. <laughs> you can vacuum your rug. Get out yeah. there. Put uh, music on while you vacuum. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Dance like wild. no one's watching. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and everybody says like, I mean, I just think it's funny because they're like, you know, I mean, it's just how all these shows are where they're just like kind of being like she was crazy she liked to drink you know and it's like yeah. but everything also she has four kids and everybody says she's an amazing mother so yeah it's like you can off. do both she was working she had an apartment she was get off her back that's what i'm yeah. saying on april 12th Susie got dressed up and she put makeup on which was unusual for her she was like a real pretty woman but she also just was kind of like real casual like she didn't wear a lot of makeup and So, and then she dropped her two younger kids off at Ted's house. And like a friend who saw her was like, she definitely is like, has a date, you know? Um, And Ted and she were still married, but they had been separated for about six months at this point. Mm -hmm. And Susie's plan was to go out with some girlfriends and then meet up with this guy that she had been seeing for the past three weeks. His name was Brad Holzer. And Brad and Susie had actually dated a little bit in high school and then they had lost touch until they ran into each other in a bar on St. Patrick's Day that year. And apparently sparks just flew. They've been spending like all of their free time together since that day. Of course, like a lot had changed since they dated in high school. Like Susie had four kids. She was separated. Um, But Brad also had kids. And he also was in the process of getting a divorce from his wife, Sam. But he and Sam were actually still living in the same home. So there's apparently there was like no shadiness. It wasn't like he was actually married or anything. But they had not moved out of the house yet, but they were separated as well. So, gotcha. so the night before she disappeared, he had she had gone out with her friends. He says he picked her up at, at a bar from where she was out with her friends. And then the two had driven out of town to hang out by the Yellowstone River. And apparently this was like, you know, his ex was still living at their house and her two older kids were at her apartment. So like they didn't really have a place to go to be alone together. So they just went and like sat by the river and like, uh, talked and kissed and made out and whatever. And um, and he finally drove her back to her apartment like a little before 5 a.m. And Brad said that they sat in his car across the street, made out a little bit more, talked, and then he watched her get out of the car and walk towards her apartment. He says that he didn't wait to see her go in, 
but that it was 5 a.m. It was like, you know, it's this tiny little town. He's like, I didn't see a reason to worry. I just wanted to get home and go to sleep. In the morning, Susie's 14-year-old daughter, Mariah, woke up and got really worried. Her mother had obviously not been home or slept in her bed. And Susie had never done that. She had never not come home. Like, Mariah was this very, like, mature young woman and and she and Susie were really close. And so she knew her mom had gone out um, Mm. and gone out on a date, but she also was like, she would never not come home, especially without letting them know where she was. Right. And Susie was somebody who always had her phone on her. And so Mariah calls over and over, no answer. So then she calls her grandparents who were like, don't worry, go ahead and do, you know, whatever, get Shay, the younger brother up and do whatever you're going to do for today. Like, I'm sure Susie will be home soon. But the grandparents were did reach out to the rest of the family to see if anybody had heard from her. And Susie's brother, Rusty, and his wife, Val, and Val was actually really good friends with Susie, they decided to search for Susie. So Val started calling Susie's friends who she'd gone out with, and they found out that she had left around 11 p.m. to go out with Brad. But Val's 11 first- 11 p.m. is when she first went out? Well, she went out earlier and then had gone out with- her girlfriends. Okay. And then he picked her up around 11. So I gotcha. don't, I don't know okay. why, I but like, who has the energy? <laughs> you used to, Jen. You used to. <laughs> Not with four kids. <laughs> Not with four kids, but I don't know. Maybe at 30. I don't know. No, who knows? No, I was always somebody who was like, let's go out at six. <laughs> I know. Val's first thought wasn't to call Brad. It was that Susie had to be at Ted. So Ted was the ex-husband. And she thought maybe she had gone over there and that they'd been in a fight. And maybe that's why she wasn't answering her phone. But then she drove to Ted's house and it was dark. There was no one home. So Val got Brad's number and she called him and was like, have you seen Susie? And he was like, what are you talking about? She didn't come home. I dropped her off there at 5 a.m. She was like 20 feet from her door when I when I drove off. So now Val and Rusty know that something is wrong and they call the police. So the police bring Brad in first to question him. And he tells them the story of dropping Susie off at 5 a.m. but not seeing her to the door, which police are suspicious of. They're like, why would you not just sit there like five seconds longer? And then he tells the police that he had gotten a weird email the day before that read, how's your girlfriend? How does your wife feel about it? And the sender was supposedly someone named Denise Johnson, which was not somebody that he knew. And police asked Brad, they're like, okay, well, if you didn't have anything to do with her disappearance and you don't know where she is, who do you think would? And he was like, Ted, her ex-husband, probably. Mm -hmm. So meanwhile, there's this huge like search operation underway looking for Susie. There are airplanes, dogs, search teams, and but they find nothing to lead them to Susie. They search her apartment and her car and they find nothing. What they do find is a footprint in kind of like an outdoor alcove, like by the apartment. So it's kind of like somebody was sitting there maybe waiting for her. And they found drag marks in the alley by a dumpster. Oh, God. But they have no way to know that if these things are connected or whatever. But that's that's all of that's all they find. So next, police bring in Ted and he's like, yeah, I was mad at her, but I didn't do anything to her. He says that he last saw her at 7 p.m. when she dropped off their daughters at his house. But then he said around 9 p.m., he got a strange call from someone who just said, Brad Holzer has been screwing your wife and then hung up. 
So then Ted says, I called Susie after that random person called me and I confronted her and I was like, what's the deal with this Brad guy? You know, we're still married, even though we're not living together. Uh What the fuck? And she was like, no, nothing's happening. And he says that they hung up. And then that was that. So Ted said that that night he went to bed early and then he woke up early to do chores on the ranch and then to get the girls to his brother's house before he headed out to have like an early morning meeting with a client. And he actually got to the meeting around 5.50 a.m. And this was verified by a coworker. And then he admitted that the route to his work took him right by Susie's apartment right around the time that she was leaving Brad's car and walking to her apartment. So now we have two. Say that one more time. So basically like on his, like from where he dropped off the girls to Uh where he was going to meet his coworker, he had to drive directly by Susie's apartment. And it was like at the same time that she was leaving Brad's car and walking to her apartment. He he says he doesn't see her, but he did go right by her apartment. So, Police are like, all right, well, we have this guy who the date who says that, you know, he didn't see her into the apartment. And then we have the ex-husband who is obviously mad at her and drove right by there. They're both there around the same time. Like, but we can't put either of them with her because she's missing still. So police let both of them go while they start their investigation and For Susie's family, the time before her body was found was, like, completely torturous, of course. They – two younger kids are with their dad, Ted, and the older two are living with Val and Rusty, who is Susie's brother. And then finally, a month after her disappearance, her body was found in the Yellowstone River in a town that was upstream from Glendive. And it was apparent from the autopsy that she had been dead when she went into the river. So she hadn't drowned. She'd been strangled. Oh, God. So police continue questioning people, including Brad and his soon-to-be ex-wife, Sam. And Sam says that when she got home at 6 a.m., she was out on a from a date on her home, which I don't know why people are out so late mm-hmm. <laughs> or so early. Um, but that when she got home at 6 a.m., Brad was sleeping in his bed. But then she also told police that the week before Susie disappeared, she also got a strange phone call. And it was a person saying, tell Brad to stop messing around with married women. Oh. So now both Brad and Sam, as well as Ted, have claimed that they got weird messages in the days before Susie's disappearance. And police are trying to like figure out how to rule out any of these suspects because they're like, okay, we have these two guys, right? So they start looking for any video proof and they found a bank that was a couple doors down from the apartment that had a camera on its ATM. And so basically they can see across the street, like they can't see her apartment, but they can see like cars going across like Uh on the street and across the street. So it's pretty grainy, but you can see on the video, you could see Brad pull up across the street from Susie's apartment. It was 4.52 a.m. They sit there for 20 minutes. And then at 5.19 a.m., you can see the dome light come on and it looks like a person, they're assuming Susie, exits the vehicle. And then you see Brad pull away just like he said he did. Mm-hmm. And so the police are like, well, if Brad's wife is telling the truth, then there really is only like a 40-minute window of time that he could have like doubled back around on foot, killed her, disposed yeah. of her body. And police are kind of like, there's not like the time or opportunity to do that or really like any motive. Like, why would he? <laughs> um, so now they're back to Ted, who 
they knew has been abusive in the past. In fact, mm-hmm. they found an angry message on Susie's voicemail that said, well, Susie, I talked to Mariah and it seems you didn't make it home last night, so maybe you really are doing someone else. So police once again checked the bank footage and they found that Ted's story checks out too. Like he did drive by the apartment at 5.52 a.m., 15 minutes after he dropped off his kids. So, and then the people, like the person he was meeting confirmed that he was he did meet them right around Whoa. them. So he's like, the police are like, it's, I guess it's possible in that 15 minutes he could have killed her, but like not probable. He would have not had time to like kill or dispose or hide a body. And like, they're like, there's really not any motive other than just being angry because, I mean, he got an insurance policy from her death, but it was barely enough to pay funeral expenses. And then he split the remainder three, four ways between her kids, which was only about $3,000 each. So it really was not that much money. Right. So police have pretty much ruled out Brad and Ted based on this video evidence. And so they go back over Susie's phone records and voicemails, and there is a number they don't recognize that is called Susie over and over. And it takes a bit to get access to her voicemails, but when they do, they hear this voice that's like, call me back. I would love to hear from you. Want to make sure everything is okay. I don't know what to do. Why won't you answer me? And like these voicemails keep getting more and more desperate. Oh, wow. And there were 22 in all from the (gasps) night she went missing into like the morning. Oh, my God. So investigators play the voicemails for Val, who is Susie's sister-in-law, and she says, I don't recognize the voice, but I do think it could possibly be Susie's first husband, Marty. Oh, wow. So Val had actually never met Marty. They, She and Rusty had gotten married, like, after they had gotten divorced. But she said that, like, Marty had been out of the kids and Susie's lives for almost 10 years. But in the last year, Mariah, the daughter – had gotten curious about her biological father and had looked him up on Facebook. And so he had re- she had reached out to him. And Susie's parents actually said that Susie had decided to let Marty come visit the kids once or twice and had taken them to see him in Billings, which is about three hours away one time. So investigators look into Marty's background. And what they discover is that there was actually a criminal trespassing charge from 1998 on Marty's sheet. And so apparently right after Susie and had married Ted, Marty drove to their house with a shotgun. Oh my and God. he was basically like, this is bullshit. And so it was like right after they had gotten divorced, he was like convicted of criminal trespass and got a lifetime restraining order from both Susie and Ted. But there hadn't been any contact that they knew of in the time since. But so they decide to check his cell phone to see where it was pinging when Marty was leaving those 22 messages on Susie's voicemail. And it turns out they could see his phone was steadily pinging on the towers between Billings and Glendale throughout the night <gasps> until the to her. Yep. He was at the tower oh nearest God. to her house early in the morning when she went missing. And so they actually bring Marty in for questioning like two days after Susie went missing. And he admits that he too like Brad and Ted, had been at Susie's apartment that morning. He said that they had like in the they had been reconnected, they had fallen back in love and they were planning to get married. And he said that he got worried when she didn't get back to him around 1 a.m. So he had just like gotten in his car and started driving. And it turns out from like from the cell phone they can tell he left around 1:39 a.m. 
He says that he arrived at her apartment around 4.30 a.m. He had knocked softly at the door and that when she didn't answer, he was just like, okay, well, I'm sure things are fine. And that he said uh he just went to a gas station and then had gone right back to Billings. Oh, my God. Who does that? Right. So the bank video did show him at the apartment when he said he was. But then police found that he had gone to the gas station, but not until 8.30 a.m. So basically there's like four hours that are unaccounted for. Mm -hmm. So police search his van and they find that it had been like, they said like vigorously cleaned. (laughs) Just Like Marty claims it was because he had ran over a deer and they're like, okay, yeah, right. But then they check for like tissue and blood on the van and they find out that there is some there and it is deer DNA. So they're like, well, okay, his story is just as plausible as these other guys. So they let him go. And then time just kind of dragged on. Like Marty was the prime suspect, but there was nothing directly linking him to the crime. He ended up moving to Arizona. But then finally, four years after Susie's death, a new prosecutor was appointed. And I feel like this happens so much where it's like just someone new comes in and is like, yeah, there's enough evidence. Let's try. Like, let's try Marty for Susie's murder. Because that was kind of the problem the whole time is that they just weren't like, there's just not enough to connect him. And he was like, let's do it. Let's try it. In February 2012, Marty Lawson was taken in by a SWAT team on his way to work in Arizona. He was brought back to Montana to await trial. And at the trial, prosecutors presented the evidence of the footprint by the door, the voicemails, the video, and the thought like that he hadn't gone to the gas station until 8.30 a.m. They showed they were able to show that he was the one who had emailed Brad and called Ted and Brad's wife, Sam, in an attempt to like break up Brad and and Susie's relationship. Mm-hmm. And the two days before the murder, he had actually called Susie 40 times. Oh, my God. And the day before she disappeared, she had asked her daughter – so like she didn't say this is your father. She just said, "How do you block numbers on my on your cell phone?" Because she kept getting calls. So prosecutors said that they believe that Marty thought that the two were getting back together. He became obsessed, and that when he found out that she was dating Brad, he went into a jealous rage. They think that he did come and knock on her door at four thirty a.m., and then mm-hmm. he just waited for her in the shadows, and that when he saw the two, you know, because the two parked. And then they kind of made out in the car for 20 minutes. So then he went ape shit. Then he went ape shit. And then he choked her to death oh, right outside God. her house and then dragged her body to his van and then dumped it in the river before oh, God. going back home. I know. I mean, anybody that calls anybody 40 fucking times, it's, that's just yeah. – And then drives that far. While like in the middle yeah. of the night while calling, like just call – And it's like they play the voicemails, of course, on – on the dateline and it's like you know he starts out like hey call me hey just wondering where you are and then it's like i'm just real worried about you i just don't you know it's like he gets more frantic like very yeah. it's it's chilling of course when you know what happened after yeah. but oh. um so in the end after a six-day trial and five hours of deliberation the jury found him guilty um of deliberate homicide and tampering with evidence for like cleaning the van and he was sentenced to 100 to 110 years in prison and then also ordered to pay $15,000 for her funeral expenses. Wow. And he is maintains his innocence and appealed in 2015, but he is, you know, all of his appeals were denied. Good. 
And I think like, you know, I was thinking about this and I'm like, it's, it is so sad. And I think the story is, is interesting to tell because of like this, this like odd craziness of these three men who all kind of had a little bit of a motive, like all being in the exact same place within like 10 minutes of her murder. I know. And like, what if the other two circumstances had never happened out of the three? What if only one of the three had happened? You would just be convinced that that person did it. Yeah. Well, and apparently like for until Marty was arrested, like everyone thought that Ted did it. And so, you know, he's still living in this little town with all these people and, you know, he was basically shunned and also his, you know, his kids with her are also being, you know, also kind of being ostracized. It's, it's very sad. So that, I think that is like, that does hit his wife. So I'm not that sad for him. I I know that's, that's the other thing. (laughs) It's like, also I can't be, but yeah. So I think that that makes this unique, like that, that, that circumstance, but like, the fact of a woman being murdered by a man who she rejected is like pretty par for the course, very sadly. Yeah. And I was kind of like sadly. looking at statistics and that basically like one out of five murder victims were killed by an intimate partner in the last like 20 years. Women are like 15 times more likely to be killed by somebody that they know and most people who know their offenders, their wives, girlfriends, ex-wives, or like common law wives. Mm-hmm. And one in four women and one in nine men overall experience some kind of severe intimate partner violence or stalking. So <sighs> it's just, it's so common. And I just wanted to say, I know this is something we all know, but like if you want to learn about intimate partner violence, like what are the signs Uh, how to make a like a safety plan or if you are experiencing or if you know someone experiencing abuse, violence of any kind, go to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at thehotline.org or you can call 1-800-799-7233 or you can just text START to 88788 and they will connect you with resources to help you get out and make a safety plan. We've talked about this so many times, yes. but it, uh, yeah, just the, it just was when, after I was like, you know, telling the story, cause I'm like, it is, it is really, the circumstances are very unique, but the fact of a woman being murdered by a man she it's rejected not, is just not. Right. Yeah. Right. So there you go. There's my, <laughs> sorry. That's such a bummer. Wow. But, um, well, what do you got? No, I mean, what, I mean, all of our, True crime stories are bummers. (laughs) What are you going to do except bring it up with a love story? Yeah. Can Um, you do that? I can. Are you going to take us to Happy Town? I am. I am. Well, yes. (laughs) I am going to take us to Happy Town. I love Um, when when you're like, well, (laughs) well, well, I'm I'm going to see what I'm going to (laughs) do. Okay. So my love story comes from a really great article for thepostandcurrier.com written by Mike Mooneyham. All right, Mike Mooneyham. All right. Um, so, and this is a sports story. <gasps> All right. Yeah. Sports love. <laughs> I knew sports. I'd get you to love a sports yeah. love story. I don't know well, why I love, I love them, love but. Story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
But so in 1961, when Evelyn Murray was a teenager living in Shelby, North Carolina, she was at home watching wrestling on TV. So it's about wrestling, which I know nothing about. Except for I, what I did used to watch like those like um, Hulk Hogan cartoons and stuff when I was little. Remember yes. like that those days. I do um, the Captain Lou Albano days. So she was watching wrestling, and a wrestler came on the screen by the name of J- Abe Jacobs. He really caught her eye because he had like dark curly hair and pretty dark eyes, and he had a really nice smile. And then most importantly, he had a very cool New Zealand accent, which all of us are suckers for. Yeah. Abe Jacobs was raised on a ranch in Chatham Islands in New Zealand. And it was like a very rural town. He was very outdoorsy. Like he actually rode a a horse to school. Oh, really? (laughs) Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, So he loved the outdoors, but wrestling was his passion. And so he decided to pursue... um, his dream of becoming a wrestler. And in the late 1950s, he moved to the United States to become one. He said that it's what he wanted to do since he was a kid. He started when he was 10 years old. And so through wrestling, he became, um, he was very good at it and he was very successful. He actually ended up, it says he went up against the best in the business and once held the great Lou Fez to a one hour draw. Again, I know nothing about wrestling. <laughs> sounds like it was a big deal. I get, uh, so. I would, have you ever been to a wrestling match? match? No, I haven't. My friend Mike Cody is like super into wrestling. And he once, when we lived in New York, he took Ben and I to this like amateur wrestling match. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was so fun. It was, was so it? fun. Yes. Cause it's like, I mean, it's all acting, but also like, you know, it is a sport, like it's a sport, you know? So it was like very, it was just fun to watch. They're so, they're so like over the top. And yeah, um, it was just like, I was like, I can totally see getting really into this. I mean, this is one of those dorky things that like, if someone's really into it, then I can appreciate that. You know yes, what I mean? that is that is exactly yeah. this. Like he he actually he went to like this school to become like a wrestling announcer. Really? Yeah, because he wanted to be one of the people that called the fights and one of the guys in the rings. But it I, he didn't end up happening. But that's a like I, that is the thing amongst comedians. There's like a lot being a comedian and being a wrestling fan kind of goes hand in hand. For yes, most male comedians. Yeah. It's funny. It is funny. It is funny. It is so funny. Um, so, that? <laughs> so when Abe went moved to the United States, he actually ended up falling in love with the Carolinas. Like that would be north and south. Yeah. Carolina. <laughs> uh, and so he fell in love with it and he ended up like buying property and setting up his home base in the Carolinas. So he just so happened to be wrestling in, in Shelby, North Carolina at the city park when Evelyn was able to see him wrestle in person. Evelyn told a post in the carrier, oh my God, my heart just melted. He was so good looking with those dark brown eyes and black curly hair. But when he started talking with that New Zealand accent, I never heard anybody with that accent. But I picture that she has a New York Cute. accent, oh, but okay, I don't yeah. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, she's from the Carolinas, but, um, right. so anyway, but I never heard anybody with that accent before. And she said that accent drew me to him. But when I got to see him, the rest of him drew me to him. So she was very shy back then. She said she didn't know how to introduce herself to him. Yeah. And her and her girlfriend loved 
taking pictures. So she went up to him and asked for a photograph. So she is a photograph of her and him when she first met him back in 1961. Oh, And so... They ended up staying in touch and they would date occasionally between 1961 and 1962. But because Abe was a, you know, a wrestler, he was constantly on the road and it, it wasn't really, they couldn't really have a serious relationship, you right. know. But there was another wrestler by the name of John Smith. Apparently his real name was Walter Allen and he also had eyes for Evelyn. He eventually ended up dating her seriously. Okay. So this other, there was a different wrestler. And so Evelyn said, I didn't go steady with anybody at the time, but I liked John. I liked Abe too, but John was more settled and more of a homebody. Abe was a staying in motel rooms and travel. Abe was staying in mo- motel rooms and traveling the country. So she decided to go with stable guy mm-hmm. john and so she ended up marrying john and john was actually 22 years older than her oh, um they okay. ended up yeah they ended up getting married in 1973 and then they lived in tampa for 14 years he ended up opening up a bar there called the john wolfman smith holiday bar i guess wolfman maybe was his wrestling name yeah I, hope, I mean i hope so um, <laughs> but so because he opened up this bar and he was a wrestler it ended up becoming a place where wrestlers would go every time they went to Florida. That's where they all hung out. Evelyn actually said, Andre the Giant used love to come in for jam sessions. He loved to play pool. Who stood a chance of winning against someone who could reach across the table? <laughs> uh, and That's so, so yeah. And so um, she said that life was very good with John. She loved, you know, she loved their life together. He was a very good husband and a great prov- provider. Evelyn said, John spoiled me rotten. Anything I wanted and anywhere I wanted to go, John would say, let's go. For instance, she said that there was this one time where she really wanted fish, but not just like just fish, like any fish. She wanted this special fish from the Shelby fish camp back home where she was from. And so then um, apparently John was just like, all right, we'll get your bag. Let's go. And then they ended up going 700 miles just to go get some fish where she wanted it. I love that. I love that too. I know. So when they were, when they were actually back to go get the fish, uh, when they went to Shelby, they ended up stopping at a motel in Charlotte where it was also known to be like a stop for wrestlers, like wrestlers on the road would stay at this hotel. So when they checked into the hotel, John wanted to see like what, who are the other wrestling boys might be there, you know? So, and of all the people. It's like going to an open mic. Yeah. Like who's here? Who's (laughs) Who's here? here? Let's see who I can run into today. So out of all the people that happened to uh, be there, it was Abe. Abe was staying there. And so they called the guy, they told the guy at the desk to call up to his room to see if he was awake. He was. And John told Abe, if you ain't dressed, you better get dressed because we're going to be up there to your room in just a few minutes. And she said that they ended up talking for an hour, but she said that the guys pretty much talked and she just kind of sat back and listened. Yeah. She um, asked him if he would ever come to live in Florida and he just kind of shrugged his shoulders like what's in Florida you know and then um, Evelyn said what in the world is wrong with Tampa I like it there and it's comfortable and then they said that they both just like kind of looked over at her because she wasn't really talking she said that um, after they left then a month later guess who came to visit them in Tampa Florida 
it was Abe. Abe. So they were all just friends. And Evelyn and John had a very happy life until, unfortunately, John came down um, sick with cancer. Um, First, he was diagnosed with cancer in his neck. And he was treated with something called cobalt, which caused him to lose all of his hair. Um, or most of his hair. And Evelyn said he lost all of his beard except for his goatee. He looked like a big gorilla. He had hair (laughs) all over his arms and all of that came out. Um, And then also due to the effects of the cobalt, he had to have all of his teeth removed. So, you know, she said that she watched him go from this like 250 pound man down to 160 pounds. And then he would get better and he got back up to 185 pounds but when the cancer hit him again and he had to have more treatments he lost his appetite and he got down to 130 pounds after all of his treatments he unfortunately ended up um, passing away in june of 1991 but apparently a few years before he passed away when he knew that his condition was terminal john approached evelyn with a special request that kind of knocked her off her feet. He he asked her to come back to the bedroom because he had something that he needed to talk to her about. And when she said, yes, he said, do you think you could find Abe Jacobs? And she said, what in the world do you want me to find him for? And Uh he told her, well, I want you to find him and see if you can work things out. And if you can work things out, there's not a finer person in the world than Abe Jacobs. I know that he would be good to you and he'd treat you good. Oh my gosh. I have chills. And that he'd look after you. Oh. And um, she was like, don't talk like that. And she said to him, he's probably married with the family anyways. And he said, I think he's waiting around for you. So I want you to promise me now. And so, um, I so, <laughs> know. That's like struck me. So I know. <sighs> and so after he passed away, years had gone by where she hadn't seen Abe Jacobs. But she felt like she had no choice but to, you know, honor her his wishes. When he asked her that, she said, all right, if that's what you want, I'll promise you. And so when she decided to go look for Abe, she actually, she moved back to North Carolina. She got a job. And when she had a Sunday off, she decided to go looking for Abe. She said that she knew where his old haunts were, you know, because where all the wrestlers would hang out. So she ended up trying to find him at the old Eastwood golf course in Charlotte. She said he was always on the golf course. So I made a special trip to the course. It was June. And she remembered that that his birthday was in the month of June. And so um, she said, I went to the course and asked the golf pro if by any chance does Abe Jacobs play golf out here anymore? And um, it just so happened that he was on the course that very day. And so she um, then decided she bought a dozen golf balls and then she asked the golf pro guy there go deliver these to him and with the message Evelyn said happy birthday but she was going to leave so she was going to go walk towards the parking lot and when she was on her way she ended up seeing a golf cart roll up here and it was Abe looking at her like what are you doing here yeah you know and she said I'm looking for you And so he asked her to stay there while he went to go put the golf cart back. And so Evelyn ran back into the shop and got the golf balls that she was going to send to him. 
And then she like brought it to him and she told him happy birthday. And then they ended up sitting in her car and they talked for a good hour and a half, she said. And she said, I'm not going to pull any punches with you. It's John's idea for me to come up here. And I explained to Abe and asked him what he thought, you know, about John wanting her to be with him, to find yeah. him and be with him. And apparently all he said to her was a four word reply. He just said, sounds good to me. Oh. <laughs> I know. So they were together and dating, you know, being together or whatever. Yeah. And um, Abe was actually recently retired from working in the gym business in Charlotte. She had just moved to Forest City. So they were kind of a long distance. They were 80 miles away from each other, but okay. they dated long distance for almost a year. But then eventually she ended up finding an apartment in Charlotte so that they could see each other more often. Abe had started working, taking care of this gym called Ricky Steamboat's Gym. Okay. And while she worked at night and Abe worked during the day, Abe, Evelyn ended up coming up with this idea. She said, why don't you just share my apartment with me? Like, you'll yeah. be leaving for work the time I come home from work. And whenever I leave at night, you'll be getting home from work. Yeah. They ended up doing that for two years. And then um, they ended up moving into a bigger apartment. And then they eventually bought a bigger house where they ended up living together for the next 30 years. Wow. Yeah. And they decided to get make it a permanent thing in 1985, but they actually weren't married until 2000 legally. And she said, and here we are 35 years later. She ended up retiring in 1998 after working 24 years for the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah. And she could have done more, but she unfortunately came down with cancer and arthritis and had to undergo two knee replacement surgeries. Oh, man. Yeah. She's now 77 years old, and she looks back at all the happy years that she spent with Abe, who just turned 93 years old on June 18th. So, yeah. Wow. So he, for a long time, uh, shuttled cars for Avis Rental Cars in Charlotte four days a week until just a couple years ago. He was always in like great shape and he worked out regularly and played golf regularly. But unfortunately, over the last two years, he's had some health setback. He's had to quit his job. Um, you know, I mean, he's 93 years right. old. <laughs> Take a break, Gabe. Take a break. You earned it. But unfortunately, three years ago, he was also, he was diagnosed with prostate cancer and he's undergone 42 treatments. And so because of that, he's had some lapses in his memory. And so he had to quit driving for Avis. That's understandable. Yes. So unfortunately, during COVID, he was diagnosed with pneumonia. When he was in the hospital, she had to go two months without seeing him. Yeah. That's yeah. So hard. So, so awful. But so now, even though, you know, he's 93 and he's, um, they're back together. He's been back home for two, two months now and she's caring for him. And while he's technically under hospice care because he's older, he's 93 as he had pneumonia and he has prostate cancer, he's still doing everything he can to stay healthy. He, he, she, he takes medicine, he eats, he's still 241 pounds. He's in good shape. He does, he's still doing squats and sit-ups. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I 
And she said he'll take a fist and hit himself in the stomach to show how tough his stomach is. And it is. It's hard as a rock. <laughs> Isn't that so cute? It's she really said cute. he'll pull his pants legs up, a pants leg up, and he can still flex all of those muscles in his legs. His legs and arms are so strong. <laughs> and she said that she overhears women over the years commenting on his uh, physique. She said they would talk about his good legs, his pretty legs. And she, she agreed. She said, I'd look at him and tell him, Abe, you know you have good looking legs. <laughs> and then uh, they're still able to like every once in a while go out for dinner and stuff. And she says that she cherishes these moments with him where they, you know, they can have dinner and you know, just be a couple together. She still thinks that he is the most handsome person in the whole world. She said, I told him just the other night, Abe, when you open your eyes wide and look to one side, you've still got that same twinkle in your eye you used to have 60 years ago. And even though he's got less hair and it's gray, there are still a few waves in there. She said, (laughs) he's still one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet. I certainly wouldn't trade him in. That's so sweet. Isn't that sweet all around? Yes. Like, Like, I I mean, she has had, I mean, she still could have another great love of her life, but she's had two great loves and the fact that they, the one. Loved each other? Yes, loved each other and was like, you can't choose anybody better than this, like a better person than this. Like that's. Yeah. How wonderful. I know. And that one got me. Yeah, me too, obviously. (laughs) But like. What like what if your husband had been like you've really got to find Joe and Joe was like a total <laughs> piece of shit right you're like you know hey. what I mean like good thing he picked somebody like that she found attractive uh-huh. and had a thing for you know? right he picked a good one he picked a good one good on yeah John oh man but yeah I think it's so sweet and yeah she is she's still young she's seventy seven she does have time yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. For another love, and I hope, I hope that she finds. Well, she's still right now. <laughs> As I said that, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not but, trying to get rid of Abe yet. I'm not trying yeah. to get rid of him yet. But um, good story, man. Thanks. Should we do something dumb and something we love? Let's do it. Okay, so this week for something dumb. This is so. This is like the most privileged thing to say is that I just am like it's dumb that I don't live at a lake because I love being it I want to be in a lake all the time (laughs) well why don't you just go buy the lake house for us I've been trying (laughs) I've been looking I look every day and you know what What? no one wants to give me a lake house for a hundred thousand (laughs) dollars or just for free or just for free I keep saying like if anybody knew how much I loved floating in a lake I they would just give you a house. I feel like they would give me a house, but nobody has. So if anybody out there has an extra lake house at a nice lake, I want it to be warm water. I don't want your cold water lakes. Uh, I want it to be beggars clean. Beggars or choosers. I want to be able to jump off the dock into a warm lake. That's what I want. Uh, if you have one of those near a mountain, let me know. <laughs> I'm happy to take it off your hands. Um, the thing I love... Was being on vacation. Also, on a lake. lake. I love my lake vacation. Uh, I also love, and I tried to tell you about this last time, but you were like, this doesn't sound great. But now I've watched like six seasons of it, and I'm back to say, 
Taskmaster, the British edition, is oh, I forgot the funniest show. I we cut it out of our last one because right. I was trying to like explain it to you, and you were like, mm, "That doesn't sound that great." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "No, it is." But it really is. All right, I'm writing it down. Okay, so I need stuff. Find it for yourself. It makes me laugh more than anything. It's just good, silly fun, and it's very British, and I think you love it. And then also another thing that I. Uh, texted you about I texted you I texted my brother I texted uh or I talked to Ben are is you're wrong about the podcast you're wrong about which we keep talking about there are they did a series on the DC snipers and I literally have no interest I was like I'm not listening to these episodes I don't care about this I know what happened but then I listened to the first episode and I was like it blew my mind and they're all so good so i highly recommend listening to that um if you have any just it's just it's it it is one of those things like if you lived through it or if you know anything about it like this is one of those things where it's like i really didn't know any of like the motivations or the background or really what happened at all uh-huh and it is so it's like why did i not know this this is so interesting and kind of eye-opening and yeah so highly recommend yeah, i definitely need to check that those out. are two yen and yang to. taskmaster pure joy dc sniper uh very heavy but also blew my mind so okay those are my recommendations for the week what do you got good to know well so you've been i guess my something dumb is you've been giving me all these banging content uh-huh. things that i really <laughs> need to get into i've had no time i've been so fucking busy you've been so busy dude it's just uh it's just a busy time in my life right now yeah with work and life Uh but um so like it's just been go 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 nonstop. and um like i ate for lunch today i ate an ice cream cone yeah (laughs) it sounds great it it really was like i ate it because it was one of those you know those like it was a vegan gluten-free one called the jolly llama but you know those like um, those ice cream cones that are like pre-packaged in the uh-huh. king and they like you, they got they have like the paper on it. Yeah. So I was like, I have five seconds to eat something. What is something pre-packaged? I'll eat this ice cream cone. Yeah. But so I grabbed it out of my freezer, but I was like, did I eat this because it's pre-packaged or did I really just want to eat it? <laughs> <laughs> Am I busy? Or am I busy or is I mean, just looking for an excuse <laughs> <laughs> to eat ice cream for lunch? Either way, okay. justified. But, so dumb is how busy I've been. And then, um, but I guess like something that I love is, you know what I've been listening to? This is an oldie but goodie. You know, I like biographies and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, celebrity biographies. And I'm, re- I'm listening to Mackenzie Phillips' High on Arrival. Oh, I've uh, never listened. Which is very good. And it's actually in conjunction with I like another podcast. I've talked about it on here. It's called Celebrity Book Club by Chelsea Devantes. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really good. And so I started listening to one of her episodes and then I I had to stop it and be like, I really should listen to the book first. Yeah. Because all the other episodes I've already listened to. All right. <laughs> listen is the... the Read with your ears. Yeah, I read them with my ears. So now I'm listening to this one, and it's, yeah, it's pretty intense. All so, right. but I, it's intense. Okay, but I do recommend it. All right. Um. Oh, there's a new show on Apple TV 
And it's called Physical, and it's with Rose Byrne and Rory Scovel, who headlined uh, our comedy festival yeah. last year. And it's so it's Rory Scovel and Rose Byrne, and it's um, it's really awesome. Is it? I it's I like, keep seeing the ads for it, and super, I'm like, I love Rose Byrne. She's good in every single thing I, you see her in. She's funny. She does drama. So oh, she's amazing. Yeah. It's basically about uh, in the '80s, um, a housewife who's like just like had enough, uh-huh. and um, <laughs> and gets really into the aerobics scene. Yeah, and, but there's so much, so many more layers to it than that. It's very dark, but it's right. also a comedy. Super recommend that. So I think that's all that I have. For I what's think that in the world. I think that's great. I think that's <laughs> enough. I think that's enough. I think we did it. We did it. Besides, we did you only have like five more minutes and you have to go pick up your kids. So. I do, yes. <laughs> so I will just say thank you guys for listening. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com or hit us up on any of the socials at dumblovepodcast. And also, you know, check out Jen and I's social media. We are starting to do shows again and we always post mostly on Instagram or on Facebook so you can find us. Um, I'm at the Sally Brooks. And I'm at Jen O'Neill Smith. Yeah, and you can find us. Yeah, so thanks, guys. We love you. We dumb love you so much. And thank you for listening. And please make sure to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum, da, dum, 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 da, 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 dum, da,